1: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
2: This is a Word, a podcast from Slate. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. The summer is bringing new anxieties about crime, and a handful of high-profile shootings has put a spotlight back on gun violence for years, many black leaders have argued that stronger gun control is part of the solution. But black gun owners say that's a mistake.
3: The gun control things that we have in place, that always, always had in place, they don't work on criminals because criminals don't obey the rules.
2: Gun ownership in the black community coming up on A Word with me, Jason Johnson. Stay with us. This is A Word, a podcast from Slate. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. Gun violence kills thousands of Americans every year, and that pain is especially sharp in the nation's black communities. For a generation, a lot of black political leadership has called for more guns to be taken off the street and been closely aligned with gun control advocates. But a growing number of black Americans seem to be choosing a different approach. During the Trump administration, black gun ownership rates rose, and in 2020, of all demographic groups, African Americans saw the sharpest increase in gun purchases at the start of the year. For people like Ken Blanchard, advocating for black gun ownership has been a crusade for decades. After serving in the military and holding a series of jobs in law enforcement, Blanchard branded himself the, quote, black man with a gun, with a book, a website, and now a podcast with that name. He rejects the idea that gun control will make black communities safer and has made it his mission to encourage black Americans to view gun ownership as an important element of self-defense. And Kim Blanchard joins us now. Welcome to A
3: Word. Man, thank you for having me.
2: You're a military veteran, a former law enforcement officer, and you know, guns have been a part of your work for years. What led you from law enforcement work to being a gun rights advocate?
3: Entrepreneurism, actually. Um, I tried to figure out what could I do that actually would make a difference? What could I do that I could do without batting an eye so I thought in the beginning, all I was going to do was become a gun instructor. I was going to hang out near a range. I was going to put up a shingle. And whenever mom and pop bought a firearm for their home, I was going to be the guy you can call. I was going to make every home safer. I was going to have family classes. I was going to make sure that the, the undercover gun owner it didn't exist anymore. Because, see, we we kill a lot of people in our homes because we don't know about the firearm that we have hidden in the closet does not Secure the proper way we haven't gone through the education with our kids that tell them that unlike elmer food If you point this thing at somebody your face will not just turn black and you'll be okay tomorrow There's an education that has to go on and I was gonna be that guy Um, But once I got into it, I learned that everybody didn't grow up on a, a country farm Everybody didn't know about the hunting aspects and the responsibility aspects and I had to go way deeper Than just being the shingle guy, being the guy entrepreneur, I had to go into gun rights and the gun history. I had to show my people first that you had the right to do this. That it has been prevented since the creation of this country. That African and Native American were not allowed to have one of these things, and that has caused us to have like a a purpose to ignorance, and that has hurt us in the long run. So I wanted to demystify this thing, and it took me back. I became an activist before I became an entrepreneur. So it's. The money never came I, I became the um the black man with a gun because i was always advocating for safety and reliability and responsibility and then getting beat up for sticking up for the person who actually owned one and that, that's what started it
2: can you've you know you've heard statistics about how the u.s leads industrialized countries and in gun violence and deaths how black men are disproportionate victims of gun crime and how even legal gun ownership You know, look, it it can potentially increase the chances of suicide. If I have a gun in the house and I'm having suicidal thoughts, my chances of going through with it and being successful are greater than if I just have pills or if I have a paring knife. Why do you think it's important to advocate for gun ownership before the community figures out how to handle the guns out there that we already have?
3: Education got us off the plantation and education can keep us free. If you have a problem, the firearm is not going to solve it. We do it on both ends. Gun people, people who are pro-gun, think that if they buy this bazooka that they will no longer have crime, and that's false. And the people who don't have a firearm think that all guns are evil, and that's false. So it's, it's, um, it's a two-way street, and there is no solution because we haven't fixed humanity yet. We, haven't, we still don't know love thy brother and sister. We still don't have that part down. So when we're looking at fixing things, it's still education. It's information, um, and there's no shortage of that right now.
2: I want to talk about that because you're also like a pastor, and there are people. I guess they have some particular interpretation of the Bible where they think that you know advocating for guns is somehow anti-Christian. Talk a little bit about like how have you been beaten up rhetorically? Were you were you getting criticized by other clergy? Were you being criticized? Uh, by parishioners if you ran a church. How were you getting beaten up for being the black man with a gun?
3: When I first started, I was the janitor of this big church in D.C. I was the guy who came at four o'clock, opened the place up, got ready for the choirs, cleaned up things. Uh, made it was, I was also security for the church, so while the little folks was in there practicing the choirs and whatever, I was keeping the things straight. But while I was there, I was writing my first book, Black Man with a Gun, Um, a a book for responsible gun ownership. And everybody thought that was like a cool thing until I became a minister. And then they thought, well, how can you advocate for gun ownership? And I said, easy. Guns do not equal murder. Um, My grandmother was the first gun owner that I ever knew. Um, She actually shot a water moccasin within feet of me, which became my hero. My grandmother celebrated freedom on watch night, service night, you know, New Year's Eve, she fired that thing off in the middle of the night in the middle of Suffolk, Virginia. It, was, well, it wasn't the middle of Suffolk. It was like in the boonie boonies. And that was the first gun ownership that I saw. So I had to be able to explain that in the church. And then as time went on, I got pseudo-famous being a pro-gun black preacher. And that didn't go over too well as, as I became a pastor. Um, folks would snicker and make jokes about it until— um, I even had like foreign press come over and they wanted to see this pistol packing preacher. My deacons weren't too keen on my, my um, notoriety for that thing. Um, but I was trying to tell them that I am still a a holic, still a peacenik, still a hippie. I just have been trained how to protect people. I just know about this thing called a gun. Uh, I'm still it's the heart of man that is desperately wicked. It is not the tool that you use.
2: I am curious about this, and I think this is key, especially again because you're clergy in a black church. When we think about the arc of you changing from law enforcement to being, you know, uh, a writer to podcast and 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 now clergy, did the shooting at Mother Emanuel Church have any impact on your advocacy? That was an instance where you know just six years ago you know, Mother Emanuel Church in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, the white nationalists went in, killed nine people after doing Bible study with them. Did that change how you talked about gun advocacy? Did that change attitudes in the black church? Because I know a lot of churches started bringing in armed security on Sundays after that incident. Did you see that and how did that affect you?
3: I I actually learned how it feels to be Noah um, when you want to build an ark and it never rains. And then when it rains, everybody's running to you. Um, I had been saying this stuff to ministers. I had been talking to my fellow pastors um, and they were like, yeah, yeah, you do, you can, I'm not going to do this thing. And then now um, they were, oh yeah, man, we go to the range next week. You want to come with us? Or um, I just got this whole police detachment to work undercover in my in my church. Um, what, what are you guys doing? And I thought, You guys are already just gone past the whole thing I was trying to do before. That's where we went. I mean, it it went from, okay. nobody ever said you were right or can we take a class from you now? They just went in their own direction. And uh, and sometimes it was an overkill.
2: We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk more with Ken Blanchard about advocating for gun rights in the black community. This is a word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. Did you know you could be listening to this show ad-free? All it takes is a Slate Plus membership. It's just $1 for the first month, and it helps support our show. Plus, it lets you hear all Slate podcasts without ads and read unlimited articles on the Slate site without ever hitting a paywall. So sign up now for Slate Plus at slate.com slash a word plus. That's slate.com slash a word plus.
1: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
2: You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today we're talking about gun rights in the black community with Ken Blanchard, host of the Black Man with a Gun podcast. Something that you and a lot of black gun advocates talk about a lot is the history of gun control in this country and how it is completely wrapped up and sort of white supremacy and limiting black people's ability to protect themselves or liberate themselves from state sponsored apartheid. What do you think is like the key nexus moment in black gun history that, that people should know about? What's the aha moment that people who are like, Oh, I don't think we should have guns. What should they know about black people's history with guns in America that would transform their thinking?
3: I used to think that if you knew that, they were the black codes that behind many of the whole civil rights and the gun issue that we talk about now, we, we assume it's some old good old boy somewhere has a basis in black history. If you talk about the Dred Scott decision, they wanted to deny Dred Scott the right to keep and bear arms, the right to citizenship. If you want to go to the Krushenk, um versus Stanford, then you're talking about the black gun, gun rights, uh, uh, voting rights of a a crew of people who were denied. If you want to go and look at Louisiana and North Carolina and South and all the places where our people have originated from after they were snatched in here and lived and see how the laws were made to forbid them from even having a musket ball or even a pit bull were illegal. If you could defend yourself, then you were outlawed. And then you, you know about the great migration, about how our people left the South and went to Detroit and New York and all those places where there was industry. And to be more civilized, our relatives, our our matriarchs didn't want us to get in any trouble. So they said, leave the guns behind. And we started becoming these undercover brothers with our firearms. Um, We still served in the military. We still were police officers. We still hunted. So because we couldn't keep a gun legally in mama's house because she wanted us to be civilized, we have a culture of not teaching safety responsibility and you'll never become a convert until it's you you can hear history all day until you become a homeowner you become a a parent you have something to defend and now you need a fire extinguisher in case a fire comes and in case of trouble you learn that you're your own first responder
2: reverend here's the problem though there are lots of concerns amongst black people that legal gun ownership isn't going to make us safer from, say, the police. I mean, Philando Castile had a legal gun in his possession and he still got shot by a cop. So how does gun ownership make us any safer when police see our very existence as black folks as a threat, even if we don't have a legal gun in our possession?
3: The, co- the law enforcement officer that pulls you over tomorrow is still just a person, a person with a firearm. A person who might be tired, a person who got a whole bunch of issues just like we got. But the difference is if you present yourself as a threat, it's a whole bunch of psychological stuff. So if you catch a, a guy at the wrong time, an officer at the wrong time with their own fears and you don't deescalate, if you, I know my rights, damn it, I'm say what I want. And you look like Pookie that beat him and took his lunch when he was a kid, you're in for a beatdown or worse.
2: Okay, I got to push back on that because one, it ain't my fault that some white cop or somebody else has that mindset. I I can't stamp from the beginning. I can't control that they have issues with blackness. And the idea of de-escalation is is putting a lot of burden on the potential victim because if my mere existence is a trigger to this person, whether Pookie beat his butt when he was twelve, or whether he just had a bad day, or his wife said, "I'm leaving you." I, I can't de-escalate something where my mere existence is a threat to someone. Let the, alone and if and I that's, say and
3: that's how we get killed.
2: What, what else am I supposed to do?
3: And that's what that's, that's the issue, dude. That's that's why we have all the stuff we have. That's that's why nothing's been working. Um, when I get pulled over, I give an example of what happened to me once. I got pulled over by a cop one morning. I flew through this light, and I knew it. I was like, I'm I got to make it. And this cop came out of nowhere. That dude flew. He went so fast, he almost passed me because I pulled over as soon as I saw him coming at me. Um, and I knew, I was like, here we go. I got, I got this, it's a pendulum. It's like a, somebody put a stopwatch. You have seconds to make a good impression. Seconds to save your life. So what I did was I rolled down the window. I cut all my lights. I waited for that joker to come up. I knew, all right, he sees a black man in a car. The pendulum, the clock is ticking. So he gets to the window. He, he announces himself. And I, I'm, I'm looking forward. I'm going to comply. Um, I didn't have the, you didn't smell weed in my car. There's nothing in my car. There was nothing that would, would change him other than my actions. So I made sure that I let him know that I said, hey, dude, nice please stop. He's like, what do you mean? I said, I see your wheels are candid. I see you got your car turned the right way. Um, he goes, oh, you in law enforcement? It change, it, everything dropped. Now, I can do that. Everybody can't. But I'm saying you can do things, you can say things, you can not say things that will de-escalate just to somebody knows, like, officer, you got me, or I'm pulled over, um, whatever. You, you want your life, not your pride, your life, dude. I'm just saying. I, I understand that. But my, my point is, Philando
2: Castile was not being rude. He literally was saying to the officer, "Hey, officer, he's got his hands up. I just want to let you know, I got a legal firearm. The guy shot him." Sandra Bland was being reasonable until the officers started harassing her. This idea that we can magically Jedi mind trick somebody—no, we can't. It, yeah, I mean, you you can't. And even the example that you just gave—you know, we just had a, we just had a case in St. Louis right now where cops just got convicted for beating. And undercover black police officers. I, I got to tell you, like that—that that to me, that I just fundamentally disagree with. At its core level, we cannot control. I can be as nice and charming and reasonable as I want to be. And quite frankly, if my existence is offensive to a police officer, if me sounding polite triggers something in them because they don't like uppity, educated sounding Negroes, they're gonna hurt me anyway. I, exact, I, mean, I totally,
3: I totally agree with you. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with that at all, dude. And, and that's all the trouble we've had forever.
2: We're going to take a short break. When we come back, more on gun rights in the black community. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned.
1: Hi. but there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets.
2: You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about gun rights in the black community with gun rights advocate Ken Blanchard. Look, you're a lifelong member of the NRA and, you know, they've used a lot of race baiting things in their advertising. I've, I've been to NRA conventions. I, I know what it's like. There's some people who are just straight up gun people. And then there's some people out there where guns are clearly a proxy for their hostility to black folks. What's it been like to be a lifelong member of the NRA, given some of the racial overtones overt of both some of the membership
3: and the leadership? A challenge um, and I've been at the parties with the heads um, I still got a couple of friends that they're in the book and I bring all this up to their attention all the time and it's because of that I don't go to some things um, it's kind of like you got a neighbor they ain't that cool but they are your neighbor it's, it's the same um, a lot of the people who have been in leadership and make things happen don't represent the whole organization they represent themselves Um, There's been some a whole bunch of bad actors in that joint um, who are just abusing people and using them, using them for their fear, um, using them for whatever they can use them for money, mostly to keep the to keep the ship upright.
2: In in recent years, you know, the NRA has they've sought out black people. You know, they they, they'll do panels with Maj Touré. They uh, have done commercials with Killer Mike. I want to play this 2018 video with Killer Mike in it uh, from the now defunct NRA TV and sort of get your thoughts on the other side.
3: Um, I had a
2: celebrity very famous, like like, sold well over 20, 30 million records mm-hmm. call me and say, hey Mike, what you doing right now? I said, I ain't doing nothing. He said, could I call you? I was like, what's up? He called me. He was at a radio station. They were pressuring him to do a anti-gun thing. And I could tell he wasn't comfortable with it. Yeah. And he said, would you mind explaining them and why you, and I would say, very, yeah, very simply. Good. I said, you know, I'm African-American, you know, 54 years out of apartheid. I'm a I'm very pro Second Amendment. This is why. And before you say, well, what about the children? My my daughter goes to Savannah State University. There was also a shooting on that campus. Talk to my wife. Talk to my wife and daughter after that. The decision was we're going to go to Savannah. She's going to get a gun and train more. And 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 after that, they say Mike, we never heard that perspective. We surely respect and understand it. And they stop pressuring him to do something he want to do. What are your thoughts about that? Because I mean, look. What Killer Mike said is logical, but at the same time, you know, this idea of, of, of we can arm ourselves to safety is also something a lot of people just sort of
3: fundamentally disagree with. Um, Killer Mike and, and Coleon Noir, who was working as a spokesperson at the time, did some good in actually showing a different face to pro-gun people. Being armed is a choice. Um, And it's it's like everybody shouldn't do it. Everybody doesn't have to do it. What's what's cool, though, is if one in four people, like say you live in Georgia, which is probably more of a a pro gun place than Florida is for at least for black people. It is if you if you know that one in four persons in that state might be armed, you will not carjack them because bad guys want easy targets. Bad guys want to attack the female who they know doesn't have any training if you walk and you're acting like you might be a ufc champion no nah, that's not what i'm gonna do i'm gonna pick somebody else so the fact that there's one in four or or a small number that may be in this move then that saves other people there's nothing wrong with being totally i don't want firearms in my house i don't want to be a gun person it's not my thing i am really really cool with that just be in that same group that won't Dog me for going to the range. Won't dog me from owning it. I'm just you be you, let me be me.
2: Kim Blanchard is a gun rights advocate and host of the Black Man with a Gun podcast. Kim Blanchard, Reverend Blanchard, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And that's a word for this week. The show's email is a word at slate.com. This episode was produced by Ayanna Angel and Jasmine Ellis. Asha Saluja is the managing producer of podcasts at Slate. Gabriel Roth is Slate's editorial director for audio. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer of podcasts at Slate. June Thomas is senior managing producer of the Slate Podcast Network. Our theme music was produced by Don Will. I'm Jason Johnson. Tune in next week for Word.